Chapter Seventy Two of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefano. Chapter Seventy Two in which the apparition of mr irons is swallowed in darkness twas a darkish night very little moon and he had made us turn off the road into the moor black and ugly it looked stretching away four or five miles all heath and black peat stretches of little broken hillocks and a pool or tarn every now and again and he kept looking back towards the road and not a word out of him well i did not like meeting him at all if i could help it but i was in dread of him and i thought he might suppose i was plotting mischief if i refused so i made up my mind to do as he bid me for the nonce and then have done with him by this time we were in or about a mile from the road and we got over a low rising ground and back nor forward nor no way could we see anything but the moor and i stopped all of a sudden and says i we're far enough i'll go no further good says mr archer but let's go yonder where the stones are we can sit as we talk for i'm tired there was half a dozen white stones there by the side of one of these black tarns we none of us talked much on that walk over the moor we had enough to think of each of us i dare say this will do says mr archer stopping beside the pool but he did not sit though the stones were there now glasscock here i am with the price of my horse in my pocket and what do you want well when it came to the point so sudden glasscock looked a bit shy and hung his head and rolled his shoulders and shuffled his feet a bit thinking what he'd say hang it man what are you afraid of we're friends says mr archer cheerfully surely sir says glasscock i did not mean aught else and with that mr archer laughed and says he come you beat about the bush let's hear your mind well sir tis in my letter says he ah glasscock says he that's a threatening letter i did not think you'd serve me so well needs must when the devil drives and he laughed again and shrugged up his shoulders and says he putting his hand in his pocket there's sixty pounds left tis all i have come be modest what do you say you got a lot of gold off mr beauclerk says glasscock not a do it more than i wanted says he laughing again and who pray had a better right did not i murder him his talk and his laughing frightened me more and more well i stood to you then sir didn't i says glasscock heart of oak sir true as steel and now how much do you want remember tis all i have and i out at elbows and here's my friend irons too eh i want nothing and i'll take nothing says i not a shilling not a halfpenny 
you see there was something told me no good would come of it and i was frightened besides what you won't go in for a share irons says he no tis your money sir i've no right to a sixpence and i won't have it says i and there's an end well glasscock what say you you hear irons let irons speak for himself he's nothing to me you should have considered me when all that money was took from mr beauclerk one done as much as another and if twas no more than holding my tongue still tis worth a deal to you i don't deny a deal everything come there's sixty pounds here but mark tis all i have how much i have thirty and i'll take no less says glasscock surly enough thirty tis a good deal but all considered perhaps not too much says mr archer and with that he took his right hand from his breeches pocket and shot him through the heart with a pistol neither word nor stir nor groan did glasscock make but with a sort of a jerk flat on his back he fell with his head on the verge of the tarn i believe i said something i don't know i was almost as dead as himself for i did not think anything that bad was near at all come irons what ails you steady sir lend me a hand and you'll take no harm he had the pistol he discharged in his left hand by this time and a loaded one in his right tis his own act irons i did not want it but i'll protect myself and won't hold my life on ransom at the hands of a jew or a judas said he smiling through his black hair as white as a tombstone i am neither says i i know it says he and so you're here and he there well tis over now i suppose says i i was thinking of making off don't go yet says he like a man asking a favour but he lifted a pistol an inch or two with a jerk of his wrist you must help me to hide away this dead fool well sir we had three or four hours cold work of it we tied stones in his clothes and sunk him close under the bank and walled him over with more twas no light job i can tell you the water was near four feet deep though twas a dry season and then we slipped out a handsome slice of the bank over him and making him all smooth we left him to take his chance and i never heard any talk of a body being found there and i suppose he's now where we left him and irons groaned so we returned silent and tired enough and i in mortal fear of him but he designed me no hurt there's luckily some risk in making away with a fellow and tisn't done by any but a fool without good cause and when we got on the road again i took the london road and he turned his back on me and i don't know where he went but no doubt his plans were well shaped twas an ugly walk for me all alone over that heath i can tell you twas mortal dark and there was places on the road where my footsteps echoed back and i could not tell 
but twas mr archer following me having changed his mind maybe or something as bad if that could be and many's the time i turned short round expecting to see him or maybe that other lad behind for you see i got a start like when he shot glasscock and there was a trembling over me for a long time after now you see glasscock's dead and can't tell tales no more nor mr beauclerk and dr stirk's a dead man too you may say and i think he knew that is brought to mind somewhat he lay you see on the night mr beauclerk lost his life in a sort of a dressing-room off his chamber and the door was open but he was bad with a fall he had and his arm in splints and he under laudanum in a trance like and on the inquest he could tell nothing but i think he remembered something more or less concerning it after and mr irons took a turn and came back very close to mervyn and said very gently and i think charles archer murdered him then charles archer has been in dublin perhaps in chapel is it within the last few months exclaimed mervyn in a sort of agony i didn't say so answered irons i've told you the truth is the truth but there's no catching a ghost and who'd believe my story and them things is so long ago and suppose i make a clean breast of it and that i could bring you face to face with him the world would not believe my tale and i'd then be a lost man one way or another no one may have could tell how i'd lost my life before a year and all the world could not save me perhaps perhaps charles nutter's the man and mr dangerfield knows something of him cried mervyn irons made no answer but sat quite silent for some seconds by the fire the living image of apathy if you name me or blab one word i told you i hold my peace for ever said he slowly with a quiet oath but very pale and how blue his chin looked how grim his smile with his face so shiny and his eyelids closed you're to suppose sir tis possible mr dangerfield has a guess at him well he's a clever man and knows how to put this and that together and has been kind to dr stirk and his family he's a good man you know and he's a long-headed gentleman they say and if he takes a thing in hand he'll be as like as another to bring it about but sink or swim my mind's made up charles archer wherever he is will not like my going he'll sniff danger in the wind sir i could not stay he'd have had me you see body and soul twas time for me to go and go or stay i see nothing but bad before me twas an evil day i ever saw his face and twould be better for me to have a cast for my life at any rate and that i'm nigh hand resolved on only you see my heart misgives me and that's how it is i can't quite make up my mind for a little while mervyn stood in an agony of irresolution 
i'm sure i cannot understand all he felt having never been thank heaven in a like situation i only know how much depended on it and i don't wonder that for some seconds he thought of arresting that lank pale sinister figure by the fire and denouncing him as by his own confession an accessory to the murder of beauclerk the thought that he would slip through his fingers and the clue to vindication fortune and happiness be forever lost was altogether so dreadful that we must excuse his forgetting for a moment his promise and dismissing patience and even policy from his thoughts but twas a transitory temptation only and common sense seconded honour for he was persuaded that whatever likelihood there was of leading irons to the critical point there was none of driving him thither and that irons once restive and impracticable all his hopes would fall to the ground i am going said irons with quiet abruptness and right glad the storm's up still he added in a haggard rumination and with a strange smile of suffering in dark and storm curse him i see his face everywhere i don't know how he's got this hold over me and he cursed him again and groaned dismally a night like this is my chance and so here goes remember for heaven's sake remember said mervyn with agonized urgency as he followed him with a light along the passage to the back door irons made no answer and walking straight on without turning his head only lifted his hand with a movement backward like a man who silently warns another from danger so irons went forth into the night and the roaring storm dark and alone like an evil spirit into desert places and mervyn barred the door after him and returned to the cedar parlour and remained there alone and long in profound and not unnatural agitation end of chapter seventy two recording by john brandon